45 minutes to church and I was on E when I left my house. But I said, I got to get to church. Got all the way to church, pulled in the driveway. I was the saddest little joker you could have seen in service that night. I didn't tell a soul. Broke as a hostage. I couldn't even go to Burger King. I couldn't get nothing after service. And I walked sadly all the way back to my little car with my lip poked out. Well, God, you brought me here. You got to get me home. I guess you're just going to have to get me to home on, on fumes. But in that service, before that service was over, offering came around and God said, well, give to me and watch me give. I said, God, I ain't got but a few dollars in my bank account. He said, you need a pen? I didn't ask you how much you got. I said, give it. So I wrote out this little check when we wrote checks back in the day. You know, it's a piece of paper, everybody. It's called a check. Okay, all right. And I wrote out this little check for exactly how much I had in the bank account. It's kind of like one of them checks where you say, don't cash it right yet. You know what I mean? <laughs> but I knew I had that much in there. And I wrote that little old check out. It probably wasn't over 10 bucks. And I sat there and I put it in that offering plate and I walked out to that car. Dragging my lip, wondering, well, God, I gave like you said. And I opened up my car door and I went to get in my car. And I'm listening for a bird to chirp. I want anything to happen. Huh? I went to get in my car. Somebody said, Brother Coley from the church. I went, yeah, 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 what, what, what? She said, ain't your birthday next week? I said, as a matter of fact, it is. She said, do you want your birthday money now or do you want it next week? I said, woman, you better give me that money. I got that money filled up my tank, ate me some Burger King. My God will provide. Why? Because I said, God, I will dump it all out for you to fill it all up. just silly to pray for the small things if God can't trust you to pray for the small stuff you better forget about the great things This is your host, Ryan French, and that was my friend, Evangelist Coley Reese. The conversation you're about to hear is extemporaneous. We didn't use any notes or an outline of any kind. Reverend Reese and I have very different backgrounds that led us to the ministry. While I was raised in a pastor's home, he was raised deep in the world far from God. His background gives him a unique perspective on soul winning and deliverance that I find extraordinarily inspiring. He weaves it into his ministry very effectively. Because I've never known anything other than being in church, I wanted to talk with Coley about what it's like coming into the church so we can be aware of how to help future Coley Reese's that walk into our church doors for the first time. I have two quick article suggestions for you from RyanAFrench.com. First, I have a brand new article called A Universal Problem, The Invasion of Ukraine Exposes. Go check that out. And you may not know it, but the month of March is Pastor's Wives Appreciation Month, and they do deserve lots of appreciation. I've written an article called Support Your Local Pastor's Wife. Just search for that in Google or in the search bar at RyanAFrench.com, and you'll easily find it. Also, it's, it's in the show notes, a link, so you can click that. But don't just read the article for yourself. Share it and encourage others to support and appreciate their pastor's wife. I, I hope that you will do that. I firmly believe that pastor's wives are the most under-supported, 
under-encouraged, under-appreciated people in any church paradigm. So let's lift up their hands this month as we should at all times. All right, we'll be right back with Coley Reese in just a moment. I'm back with my friend, Coley Reese, from just down the road, Macon, Georgia. Man, I love you. Thank you so much for being a part of this today and uh, for preaching such a great message last night. That was so powerful. Uh, In fact, it was such a powerful sermon. I wanted to just jump in and talk about uh, something that that you mentioned uh, in that sermon. You were talking about about the importance of, of being connected, and you were talking about how we sometimes can be offended with one another. The theme of the conference last night was unity, and, and you were talking a story about when you were working a secular job right after you got the Holy Ghost. And I want to come back around to that because it was such a cool story you told. You know, if someone just met you right now, they would think, Man, Coley's been in church his whole life. He's been preaching since he was a baby. You know, he he grew up, you know, the word being pounded in him. But I've known you long enough to know that's not your your life story. And it's one of the things I respect so much about you is that you weren't raised in truth, but you're passionate about truth. And and so you're like that first generation. And I'm different than that. I'm I'm fifth generation Pentecostal. When I see your story, it moves me deeply because you're that first, you're the one passing that down. And uh, maybe you could just share a little bit of of your testimony, your early life, and and then maybe we could talk about things we can do to help Coley Reese's that are just getting in church right Right, now. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, uh, like you had mentioned, I had no church background uh if you will in any way as a child growing up now i'd been to churches i had visited things in certain um, times of the year holidays whatever you want to call it and i had visited many churches but i had no rooting in church whatsoever and that tended to be a good thing to be honest I, i didn't have to be uprooted from anything when i came into the truth and so I had no upraising whatsoever. As so you didn't grow just, up Baptist or no, Catholic? I, well, or? I had been, no, 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 not doctrinally. Let me put it that way. Mm. Now, had I been inside the walls and in, sat in some services? And Yes, absolutely. But um, I had not had any kind of a experience with God in those areas. It was just time that was being filled with maybe family, friends. I'd go to spend the night with someone that I went to school with, and if their family went to church, I was obligated to go to church with them. And all <laughs> I would do is sit in the back pew with my friends and play pinch me, you know, that kind of thing. So so I had no kind of church experience whatsoever. And I 
and I had my share of getting in trouble throughout the years. I had the average uh, childhood experiences that I would believe a lot of young boys had, just getting into trouble, starting forest fires, breaking in homes, getting in bad crowds. I believe I even started smoking when I was around the age of nine or ten. Oh, wow. And Because uh, I, would, I would go in there, and my mom, uh, she would uh, work long shifts, and she would sleep all day and work all night, 12 hours. She was a nurse, and so I had to stay out all day. While she slept uh, in the day, so I'd stay gone and I'd get into trouble doing things while I would slip in sometimes while she was sleeping and steal some of her, you know, cigarettes and things like that. So I I didn't have any kind of direction as far as what to do, what not to do as far as spiritually or in church, rather, I guess you could say. Sure. And so uh, I didn't come to God until I was about 20 years old. And I had been invited by some friends that I was with at the time. But the funny thing about it is somewhere along the line, I don't know where it started, where it happened. Somewhere in my younger years, I must have had an understanding of heaven or hell in some way. Oh, wow. I don't personally remember when I was first introduced to there being a heaven or a hell, but I remember one night I was with a bunch of friends, and we were hanging out in someone's house. I can't even remember at the time, and we were just sitting around the living room drinking and talking and being funny and whatever, and and uh, I, I, was, I had a girlfriend at the time, and, and, you know, whatever the case may be, without going into detail, and one of them looked over at me and said, man, you know you're going to hell because you've got a girlfriend, and you're doing this and that, and you're not married and all that. And mm. Nobody in the room was in church, but he was saying, they were saying that and being funny. Oh, they meant it as a joke. Yeah, they were being funny. Oh, man, Cole, you know you're going to hell because you're not married, and you got a girlfriend, and y'all doing this, blah, blah, blah. And I said, oh, I'm not worried about hell. I'll go to hell to get a glass of ice water, being funny and tough, right? Mm. And I dismissed myself. And I said, man, I got to go to the bathroom or something. So I went to the back of their home, shut the door. And brother, I hit the floor crying Wow! in the bathroom. I don't know what made me cry. I don't know what it was, but it was the first time I had really had a fear grip me. What if that guy's right? What if what he said being funny? Yeah. That he unintentionally was right. Isn't it amazing how God can speak to us through? Absolutely. A non-believer. Absolutely. Because if he's wrong, I have nothing to lose. Yeah. But if he's right, that's what caused the scare. And I don't remember, I don't know how much longer after that it was I came to church, but I know at that moment, I think back, and that was an initial moment to where a fear gripped me of actually being lost if there is really a hell. And you're not really a weepy kind of guy by oh, nature. Oh, no, 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 no. I mean, you didn't, when you were younger, you didn't cry in front of your friends. You didn't, you weren't emotional. You were considered to be weak. You were considered to be whatever. So know. that had to have been a spiritual moment. That wasn't heavy. just a psychological. Absolutely. That was, wow. I believe it was God trying to get, nudging me, I guess you could say at the sure. time. Uh, because obviously he knew the direction that was coming up pretty soon. I would have never thought 25 years ago standing on this side of a sanctuary in apostolic church that God would fill this vessel that was so full of junk, that was so stacked up full of filth and full of horrible things, spent time in jail, had things in his system probably out of my mind at the moment. And I'm standing there. I'm standing there. I don't know what I'm doing. And somebody comes to pray for me and says, brother, talk to God. Just repent. Tell him you're sorry. And I began to weep. I began to cry. And as I was weeping and crying, all of a sudden, that bowl did this. And I was holding all the filth, all the addiction, all the alcoholism, all of the hate. Oh, it 
just poured out on the ground poured out on the ground and then that brother said all right all right guess what go ahead and start worshiping him you got nothing to cry about no more you believe god forgave you i said yes sir he said then i want you to begin to worship him because on the day of pentecost and in the book of acts the only time the holy ghost was poured out on somebody it was while they were worshiping god at it a good bit in your preaching but and I know you don't want to just go into all the nitty gritty but you were into drugs and did you consider yourself an alcoholic Uh, yes I do it was something that I had to have all the time continually not while I was at work obviously but it was something that you gravitated to right when you got off work you were a functioning alcoholic yeah functioning but did you think of yourself that way at the time oh no no see that's the thing that's the thing Later on, after I'd come to God and I'd began to work in the ministry and God began to call me in different areas, you know, and I was talking to my wife one day and we were just mentioning things around the home, things that I like, things this about the house, cars we had, whatever we had had that God had blessed us with. And my wife said, Coley, did you know that before you came to God that you could have had the blessing that you have now? In other words, like I never had a home growing up. It was always like a small house, like a mobile home, single wide, double wide. Maybe you were here, maybe you'd have to move there. And not that I'm criticizing people having to, you know, live in that. Sure, yeah. But when when God began to bless me and now we have a home and all, and I said, babe, the thing you need to understand is that before I came to God, I didn't know the state that I was in. Mm. I didn't know what I was missing. I didn't know I could have more. I didn't know there was greater to achieve. I didn't know there was a God that could bless me if I began to walk and serve him. So at the time that I was living that lifestyle of partying and drinking and drugs and being a part of selling drugs and being there when they were being sold and being bought, I mean, I'd I'd been in some atmospheres that would absolutely terrify a person. But in the moment it was happening, this was my norm. It was normal for you. It was normal. And for someone like me, and I I wrestle with this about myself all the time as a pastor, because, you know, I feel like as a minister, you have an advantage that a multi-generational preacher doesn't have, because I'm preaching to people and ministering to people that have life circumstances that are very different from my upbringing. And so that's never been normal for me. And I catch myself sometimes being bewildered. Right. You know, why, don't, why doesn't someone want more? Mm. And I hear you say your testimony, and I realize they don't even know there is more to want. That's the truth. I believe there are a lot of hungry people in the world. 
They just don't know what they're hungry for. Yeah, yeah. Until an apostolic comes along, a child of God comes along and says, hey, this is what you're missing. Yeah. This is something that can change your life. And then there's an appetite that begins to happen. And once you get a craving for something, brother, it's just like anything that you enjoy today, your favorite dessert, your favorite food, your favorite steakhouse, whatever it is. Once you've had a taste of that, it's hard to compare that to anything. Brother Stone King made the comment, and he's made it for years. He said, you can come from anything to the apostolic truth, mm. but you can't go from the apostolic doctrine to anything else. That's that. right. That's right. Because once you've walked into that, once you've experienced that, you lose that savor yeah. for all the other stuff. You compare, it's, everything has to be compared to that. And when you see people who try to, Absolutely. it's always a, it's a train Absolutely. wreck. It's Absolutely. always, now, I want to come back to your testimony, but I want to kind of, because this is so interesting, I want to diverge for just a second, and maybe you could help give us some advice. A lot of preachers listen to this program. How can we, as ministers, and I, I watch you when you minister, and you do a great job simply through your own testimony, but how can we help people taste and see and develop an appetite? And recognize there's more without being, you know, right. you know what I mean. With, you know, sometimes it can come across like slogans or, right. or trite phrases. I don't want to just give trite phrases to people, but how can I help them taste and see and know that the Lord is good? Well, there's a scripture in the Bible, and I use it quite often when I'm, when I'm preaching. It's the, it's the scripture where the Lord says, he that hunger and thirst after righteousness shall be filled. Yeah. They that hunger and thirst. We have to understand there's a reason that Jesus worded it that way. Mm. He didn't say they that are hungry and thirsty. He said they that hunger and thirst. Mm. Because when you have a hunger and you have a thirst for something, there is a craving and an appetite that a mere taste of something doesn't satisfy you. Mm. It's something that pulls you. And a lot of people think, hey, you know, I don't have the testimony you have, so God's not going to use me. I haven't been through drugs. I haven't been through that. I've been raised on, a, on an apostolic pew. I have this I have generations of apostolics in my family, so I don't have a testimony. You shouldn't look at it. The person shouldn't look at it that way. Just like a heart surgeon doesn't have to have a heart attack in order to understand mm. the pain behind having a heart attack. Or he even how to fix it. He doesn't have to have had a heart attack himself. Yeah. To understand how to do heart surgery. So I don't believe a person has to go through just the world in order to have an appreciation for an appetite for God. I think it comes through once you desire a walk with God and a prayer life. I believe your appetite begins to get stronger when you begin to pray more. Mm. And because when I came to God, I didn't know what I was missing. Like I said, I came into an apostolic service one time, and I, I, like I, I've mentioned it before many times in preaching, the only reason I came to church for the first time was simply to hear people talk in tongues. That was my number one agenda. Me and my friends had been talking about it the night before. So you didn't know anyone in the church? Oh, no. No, no, no. There was one person. Now, she was backslid at the time, and she was the one that was telling us about it. Oh. We were sitting around on a weekend wow. Friday night, and we were just cutting up being funny. So God used another person who was backslid. Yeah. Wow. So God was really reaching to he you was, through. Apparently. He was. So people were making fun of speaking in we tongues. We were talking about some kind of spiritual. I've always loved the supernatural weird. That's okay. Just, that was Even I before you were in, oh, in yeah. church. Yeah, before I was in church. I loved the spooky. I loved the weird. I believed in aliens. I believed in this. And I, believed, <laughs> I just liked the weird. You just have to know my personality. So I was always drawn to the, 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 the awkward. The bizarre. The bizarre. There you go. Better word. And so when. 
we were sitting around talking with this friend of ours that we began to be uh, friends with, not knowing anything about her background. She began to tell us, well, you know, I, I go to a church where you can speak in another language, or I used to go to church. And I said, what? She said, yeah, you can get caught up in the spirit and you'll begin to speak in a supernatural language. I said, a, like you just start talking another language. She said, yes, it's, it's, a, it's the presence of God that begins to move on you, overtakes you. And as you're worshiping God, your language will change while you're worshiping God. So I she's said, like I, witnessing to you she's and she's not even meaning she to realize it. Yeah, she's it, it's kind of like God's using her ability to maybe pick fun. And using that as a seed to be planted in a hungry heart. Because like I said, I was hungry for more. I tried the drugs. I was doing the alcohol. I, I knew there was something missing. There was a hole there. And hey, now something else weird for me to get involved in. Let's see if this satisfies that, that emptiness I had. Yeah, so you were hungry. I was yeah. hungry. I just didn't know what I was hungry for. So you went by yourself or did you oh, go no, with no, a friend? We all went as a group. Oh, wow. we wanted to see this. And she said, well, I'm backslid, you know, and I didn't understand all this terminology. You didn't even know what she meant. Uh, such a beautiful woman later on. This God got a hold of her as well. This was amazing. So oh, she said, you God. know what? Because I'm backslid, I can't go back to my church. So I'm going to take you to another church that's across town, which wound up being the church that I stayed in for 20, 20 years, you know, yeah. and uh, worked in ministry. And so uh, I said, okay, let's go. So we, we got together and planned it on a Saturday night, and the next morning we all decided to go. And I think the first time I initially visited was a Christmas play. That's why I really came. It was a play, you know, and I got introduced to the people. Low, low little stress. Little spirituality. I mean, mm -hmm. well, I shouldn't say it that way, but there's <laughs> no altar calls. Let me put it that way. Yeah, preaching. yeah. And Less so pressure. I decided to come back when they said, no, you need to come back when there's preaching, whatever. So I came back and I come into the church and the lights were dim. They were having prayer. See, it was prayer that watered my appetite and I had no idea. Wow. They were in pre-service prayer. I walked in. I sat on the pew, sitting there, bags under my eyes. I probably weighed a buck 15. I don't know. I was scrawny. And I, I had, I don't know. It was just horrible to even think of what I probably looked like. And I'm just gazing around this prayer room and I'm seeing people on the floor crying and praying. I see somebody over here with their hands raised. I see somebody over here shouting to the Lord, just worshiping God. And nobody was pushing them to do it. Nobody was making them do this. And I was so drawn to that, and I began to hear people speaking in this language that was just so weird for me. Wow. And it began to water my appetite. And then the, uh, the preacher got up, and, and uh, uh, the pastor began to preach. And I wish I could tell you what he preached about. I wish I really do. To this day, it bothers me that I can't have it wrote in my first Bible, the sermon that oh, I first yeah. heard. Because I was so drawn to the, the audience that was listening, and they were amening. Praise God. Yeah. Hallelujah. Everything that he was saying. And I was so thrown back at the, the attention they were giving to this preacher. And while they're preaching, somebody's speaking tongues, somebody worshiping God and dancing. So they had altar call and they welcomed me to the altar and everybody went down to this altar. And I walked over to the left side of the sanctuary and I just stood there and looking around thinking, wow, I'm right here in the pit of this now. You know, <laughs> I get this is where I hear the action really happens. Right. You know, so I'm standing there and I'm kind of looking around where a brother comes up to me and uh, comes into my ear and lays his hand on my shoulder. He says, brother, can I pray for you? And I said, well, sure. I don't know what I'm doing, <laughs> you know. Right. And so he tells me, close your eyes, begin to lift your hands and worship God. At that moment. Brother Ryan, I did not know Pentecostal terminologies. I didn't know amens, hallelujah, glory to God. I, did, I was completely 
untrained in any way. And I think that wound up being a blessing for me. That, that was good for you. It was absolutely wonderful because I didn't have to be uprooted doctrinally in anything else. Yeah. Yeah. And so I just did what he said, lift your hands, begin to worship God. Right when I lifted my hands, I began to weep and cry. It was an immediate move on me in the Holy Ghost because I knew where I had been previously that weekend before. Mm. I knew what I had been doing. I had been doing things that if that preacher had known what I was doing when he had his hand on me, I thought maybe he would jerk back and say, this guy needs to get out of here. Mm. I mean, here I was a man that had been in jail. Here I was a man that was dealing drugs on the elementary school playgrounds. Here I was doing in a house where someone was making drugs. Here I am, and, and this guy's sitting here praying for me. And I lifted my hands and I immediately began to feel that God does love me because I began to feel something warm on me. Mm. And I just began to weep and cry. And I'm sitting there. He said, just repent. Ask God to forgive you. And I just, I didn't do a prayer, repeat after me. You know, I believe that there's a sinner's prayer, but it's your prayer. It's yeah. not one that you have to mimic, though we do help people sometimes. Sure, sure. Praying in altars, obviously. And so he just began to tell me, you know, ask God to forgive you, repent, whatever. And, and I just began to weep and cry. And God saw that sorrowful spirit on me. And then he leaned over and said something to me that has changed my life forever. While I'm crying and I'm weeping and I'm bawling my eyes out because of the sins that I knew that I'd been involved in, and I just asked God to forgive me, he said, now I'm fixing to ask you to do something. Stop crying. Wow. And I just went, stop crying. How do I? That's what I'm saying in my mind. I didn't say this out loud. Right. And he, he said, stop crying because you have nothing more to cry about. If you believe God just forgave you, lift your hands and thank him wow. for that forgiveness. And as I lifted my hands and was trying to say thank you, because I'm listening now to people around me. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Glory to God. And I'm hearing it. Now I'm picking up on, okay, they're talking to God. They're worshiping him. So I just began to say, God, I love you. I thank you, Jesus, for forgiving. And immediately the Holy Ghost fell on me. Because I had now opened up and surrendered to something that was greater than what I had been living in all my life. And now all the drugs, all the addictions, all of the stuff I was involved in, alcohol, none of that could compare to what I was feeling at that moment. And I had now tapped into a new appetite, yeah. a new hunger, That's so beautiful. and a new thirst that now overpowered everything else. So did you speak in tongues? At that moment, yes, So you, you received the, I didn't know this. Yes. You actually received the Holy Ghost on your second pretty much but your first, first time in an first altar. couple of times was like the holiday atmosphere yeah so you was, never had a bible study no no except just that little story <laughs> told to you by a backslider that was it, that was it. And amazing so, and, and later on i think about it because <clears throat> once i got a taste of that it was on it was i worshiped god like i just i couldn't stop Wow. Worshiping God because I felt something so great and I didn't have to shoot nothing in my arm. Yeah. I didn't have to smoke nothing. I didn't have to drink nothing. And it felt wonderful. It was such a peace overpowered me. And I began to think back later on in my years upon someone who gets into drugs. When you're in, and even my, my brother-in-law can tell you this, he's a lieutenant from the police force there in the city where I live. And um, he can tell you this as well. A person that does meth that does drugs. I'm just going to use meth because it's pretty strong. Right? Yeah. A person that does, the reason a person that does meth is so easy for them to overdose and die on drugs is because the first time they take that hit, the first time they take that whatever drug of choice. Did you ever do meth? No, I didn't do meth. Thank God for that. Yeah. God stirred, steered me away from that. There Good. was a moment where I could have. It wow. was offered to me and something shoved me from that. Good. A friend walked up, there it was, and I, I said, I don't know about that one. Yeah. And it was just when it was starting to get popular. Yeah. But anyway. And so uh, the first time someone does 
a, a heroin or something heavy, that first feeling they get, they'll never achieve that feeling. You can never get to that again. high again. So you're chasing that for the rest of your life. Chasing the dragon. No matter how small your drug is, it's always going to push you to something. That's why some people right now, and I don't have, this is just my personal, I have a low tolerance for people that say, well, I can handle this because it's not that strong of a drug. It might not be that strong and controlling to you like something else down the road, but I promise you the more you have an appetite for that Mm -hmm. you're going to begin to lose that and want something greater. Yeah. And it's going to push you. So when I came to church, I look back on that now and I think that's what happened. I got that first taste, but it's different when it comes to God. Your next moment is from glory to glory. It gets greater. And it gets greater. Yeah. The service we had last night in the altar praying 25 years into this felt just as great as it did the day I received the Holy Ghost 25 years ago. God does not care the design of your vessel. The size of your vessel, the shape of your vessel, the brand name on the bottom of your vessel, how many, how long you've got a lift in your background of apostolic doctrine if you ain't living for God, it don't matter. He ain't worried about what pedigree you got on there. Oh, this vessel was made so and so. God says, no, no, is it empty? That's all I want to know. Don't care about the shape, the size, how long you've been in it, how old, how young. Is it available? The Lord hit me with the conviction a few weeks ago. You know, we have these things we say when we're preaching that I don't know where we get them, but we say them, you know, and, and um, I, over the years, I've said many times, you know, there's nothing better than the first time, that first moment you receive the Holy Ghost. I've, I mean, you've probably never said that, but I have, you know, there's nothing better than that first time, you know, and the Lord convicted me weeks ago and I felt the Holy Ghost say to me, stop saying that. Because it's right. not true. Right, right. And I thought back, and you know what? That first moment was amazing. Right. But I have had moments in the Holy Ghost mm. that far exceeded that first yes, moment. Absolutely. Far exceeded that first moment. And what you're saying is the exact same thing. It's absolutely. like with God, it's the opposite of a of an earthly addiction. Right. You have to chase that addiction. Yeah. When you come to God, God's actually, excuse me, I'm getting emotional. I know, it's so powerful. But man. when you come to God, God's actually the one chasing you. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, and I've had so many chasing moments to where I didn't have a, the appetite was there. I get so emotional, I'm sorry. No. It was, I, I know God, but you know, you have those down times. We all have those valley moments. We, we suck our thumb, we go through things. And even in those moments where I'm not feeling that craving, I'm not really having a hunger at the moment. I'm just trying to make it to Friday. I'm yeah. trying to get to church Sunday. And God still is chasing after me and pushes me into a prayer atmosphere and yeah. thrusts me into that atmosphere. And there have been times now when I have, as, preach, as, as a preacher, has stood up there and said, now I want to challenge everybody here today to think back at that first time yes and that's different yes you received the holy mm-hmm. ghost 
Because there could be some people that have lost an appreciation. They've forgotten. They forgot where that favorite restaurant was that they had the best burger of their life. Yeah. They got so used to having fast, quick, fix situations. Mm-hmm. So now we're trying to flip-flop from spiritual to flesh. You know, and, and fast food has been fine. But then when you think back, where was that steak I had five years ago? Where was that? I can't, and when you go back, oh, I remember this is what I was missing. And sometimes you have to go remember back where God brought you from. Well, and that's exactly what the book of Revelation, the angel tells us to, you know, they had forgotten their first love. Yes, and, there you go. And, and that is a danger. And I, I really do believe, and, you know, I know that I can be cynical, but I believe that every single Christian, if you serve God for any amount of time, Absolutely. you're going to have that season where you are not as in love with God yeah, as yeah. you were at the beginning. Absolutely, it doesn't mean you're stuck there. It just means you're in that yeah. season, and you've. But you do have to get out of it. You've got to get out of but it. But you know, there's moments like that in marriages too. Oh my goodness! Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and we're married. Yeah. to Christ, right? That's right. So there are moments where you don't feel married, but whether you like it or not, you are. That spouse ma- will remind you. That's right. That's right. <laughs> we're still married. You can only run, but you can't hide, right? Well, yeah. and I think one of the most powerful <laughs> analogies or metaphors in the Bible right. is the marriage analogy, Absolutely. where where we're. You know, when you think of your relationship to God in that terms of a marriage covenant yeah. and faithfulness, yeah. uh, there's so much preaching and yeah. teaching and, and things to dig there. Well, so I didn't realize you received the Holy Ghost that, that quickly. Yeah. So, Actually, out of the group of people that I came with, there's about four or five of us, I was the first one to get the Holy Ghost. Wow. And then it just began to trickle through three or four of us at the time. So I was the first one. And when I got the Holy Ghost, I mean, I quit. I mean, I quit drinking. I quit doing drugs, cigarettes. I've got a testimony for that if you care for me. So, yes, I I wanted to ask you that exact question. I wanted to ask you, number one. Yeah. You may not know this. I'm actually writing a book on on should Christians drink alcohol and and some. And I don't deal with drugs in it, but I am curious did you just lose the desire instantly after receiving the Holy Ghost, or did you have to go through some detox? Everything, I didn't go through any detox. I didn't go through any withdrawals. The only thing that I could not shake was the cigarettes. Wow. It, they, were too con- they were so convenient and so easy, accessible, and I was still surrounded by people that were doing them continually. Mm. Everything that God has gotten a hold of me for as far as, uh, like I said, first person that witnessed to me that didn't know they were witnessing was a backslider. Yeah. At the moment, God, uh, God began to see. Let me back up. I'm kind of getting ahead of myself. I went to church one night because I was already singing before I came to God. I was singing in little, little groups in school, harmony groups and talent shows. And I was just always singing. Oh, cool. I love to sing. I didn't so know I came to church and, and I went up to uh, the one that was over the music. And I went up to her and I asked her if I could sing. And she said, well, let's just hold on and wait a little while. I was still fresh in church. I hadn't even been in church a few months. Yeah. She said, well, let's just hold on. God had been speaking apparently to her. They didn't know my life. They didn't know what I was doing. And so... Uh, uh, and what it was, I was still on cigarettes. I was still smoking them pretty heavy, but a fire for God. I mean, I was praying. I Holy Ghost. I mean, I'm having Holy Ghost. Do you think people meetings. knew? Do you think people in the church knew you were still smoking? I'm not smoking? sure. That if they didn't smell it, they wouldn't sit in close enough. Yeah. I can tell you that much. <laughs> and so, so in that time, I began to have, I wanted to get up there and just sing like these people were singing in church. I wanted to get up there and just, I loved the atmosphere of it. I was now actually had a reason to sing. It wasn't just look at me, look at me, let's win this talent show. Let's, I now had a reason. 
It was a focus. It wasn't about me. And so she said, no, let's just hold off and wait. You know, she had no idea what I was doing. Well, as far as I know, she didn't. And so at the time, I was in my car every morning going to work, and I was beginning to pray, God, deliver me from these cigarettes. God, deliver me from this. Deliver me from this. I had everything else was gone, but I can't shake this, this nicotine appetite. And um, <clears throat> for years at the job I was at, when it came time for break, we always gathered outside, and we smoked together, and we did this, and we did that. And at this time, I was so on fire for God and wanting people to come to church. I was still witnessing to them while sitting there puffing away. So you're smoking and inviting I'm smoking people to church. And I'm like, man, we had church last night, and people talking in tongues. Holy Ghost, fell. you need to get baptized. Man, I'm sitting here just giving it to them. That's so cool. A guy that is not even in church at all, he was like, I mean, he was all out heathen. He was like me heathen before I came to God, right? And he looked at me and said, doesn't the Bible say your body's a temple of the Holy Ghost? Wow. How he even knew that. I don't know what his background You don't was. even know how he no, even I came to that, that scripture. Yeah. But when he gave it to me, it was a whole different perspective. And I looked at him and I saw a soul that I was now about to jeopardize coming to God. Because here I am being a hypocrite, smoking and talking about Jesus when he even knows that my body is a temple and I'm supposed to take care of it. So I, could, I felt in my spirit that I could sit on a dime and swing my legs. That's how small I felt. So then I began to now at break, no longer hanging out there with them. I was going to the other end of the warehouse, hiding behind a cardboard box, smoking. So you were ashamed. I was ashamed now. I couldn't shake it, but I knew I couldn't be that way in front of them. Yeah. So now I'm doing this secret lifestyle of smoking. So I remember the moment I was squatted down. It was so, oh, if somebody could take a picture, I had to look like such a joke, you know. I'm squatted down behind this. It was a warehouse where we built mobile homes. It was a big refrigerator cardboard box. And I'm sitting down behind the box. And you probably could see the glory of smoke rising above <laughs> was, the box. It wasn't right? the Shekinah cloud. It <laughs> yeah, was yeah. a different cloud. You didn't cloud. know I was there, but you saw the, the, <laughs> the symbol of smoke, you know. And as I'm smoking away, God spoke to me and said, who are you hiding from? Wow. That guy or me? Mm. And which one matters the most? Mm. It shook me to my core. And I remember a few mornings later, I pulled up in the parking lot to go to work, and I opened up my fresh pack. I just bought them at the store, and I opened up that first cigarette. I had packed them down, and I fired it up, and I put it in my mouth, and I said, you know what? I'm just going to smoke it, but I won't inhale it. <laughs> We try the silly things we try to get by, right? Yes. I said, so I'm sitting there puffing in the front seat, and I get tickled at myself. And I looked at it, and I said, and God said, are you going to do this for real, or are you just going to play with this? Mm. If you will get rid of those, I will use you. And I wow. balled up that pack of cigarettes 25 years ago, and I never fired up another one. That's amazing. I threw them in the trash. I did not have withdrawals. I didn't have cravings. When I smelt smoke after that. It now gave me a headache. It made me nauseous. So I believe when God saw an initial hunger that I really didn't want to stop, God said, I can help you. Now, there's some people, Now I'm not criticizing those who have to go through a certain program. Sure, or yeah. Patches or whatever you have to. I don't know everything there is out there now, but uh, I, don't, I don't criticize that. But as for me, I believe God saw that I sincerely did realize my body is a temple. But you know God can do God, it in an oh, instant. Oh, God can, absolutely. Yeah. Because it happened in every aspect. Mm -hmm. There were so many things he delivered me from. Not just alcohol and chemical addictions, but other things, addictions that I had in my life. God just, he took these things from me because he realized that my appetite was now for something greater. Yeah. And sometimes people battle with addictions and battle with things because they have not yet made up their mind that their salvation is more important than that addiction. 
that their family is more important than that craving. That their future in the church and future with God and going to heaven is more important than momentary satisfaction. And they try to balance them out. And it's a tug of war. It really is about what you hunger for it the is. most. It absolutely is. What you hunger for Because if most. you don't have the right hunger and appetite for God, you'll be going down to the altar every Sunday, praying over the same things, mm. and then waking up Monday morning doing the same things. Tell the cool story, since we're kind of at that point. You told it last night. And it really hit me. And this is one of the things right. about your ministry that really impacts me is uh you were talking about unity in the church and then you said i think it's that same job you were gathered they were all get you'd quit smoking at this point (laughs) and they they were all gathered in the smoking circle yep 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 and and you talked about how there's you know they'd share a cigarette you didn't have a cigarette they'd give you a cigarette and you know because there's unity unity. and you talked about how there there really is unity even in sin and or evil or when it unifies there's there's a community that that is there and you had been a part of that and then you quit smoking and and you were reading your bible on lunch break and things like that and so now you are an outsider absolutely and there was a guy that was uh kind of giving you a hard time maybe you could mention that unity and kind of because i've never been unified outside of the church body if that makes any sense what's it like making the transition and how can we help people who are trying to transition from, here's one thing I hear as a pastor a yeah. lot. Well, I'm losing friends right. or my family. You know, I, I'm trying to serve God, but I'm losing friends. Right. Maybe you could minister to that while you're gotcha. telling that story. Whether we realize it or not, the devil knows the power of unity. Yeah. Enemies can come together that don't even like each other as long as they have a like-minded enemy. As long as they have the same enemy themselves, they will become unified in fighting against that. And that's what I had. I had such a community of friends, or I guess you could call it that, before I fully gave myself to God and began to submit and do away with all these things, let God deliver me from all these things. Like I said, I would go out to smoke if I didn't have a cigarette. Man, there's so many people, hey, man, yeah, here you go. Let me hook you up, this and that. And, you know, you go to a party and you ain't got enough money to drink with your friends. Oh, man, go over there to the cooler and get you one. You know, it wasn't, somebody, don't put money in the box. Don't put, No, it was for free. Hey, you're going to party with this kind of thing. So there was a family unity. I guess that's why gangs sometimes form in big mm. cities because they feel like there's a family there, a community for them. So the devil knows that. That's why the Tower of Babel was built, because they unified in mm-hmm. their rejection of what they were. You know, uh, uh, Nimrod began to convince the people at the time that God could possibly flood the earth again. So in case he does, we're going to build this tower. We're going to be ready. We're going to outsmart him mm-hmm. this time. And the Bible even says God was impressed at the unity yeah. that they had, but they were unified for the wrong reasons. And so uh, I was in that community at work and I was thought I had friends close and loved me and this and that. But once you give up things and you're no longer doing what your enemy does and you're no longer in agreement to how they're living, they'll cut you off pretty quick. Yeah. Because now they're feeling the conviction. They're feeling the guilt. So I was no longer hanging around outside. And, and um, I, I was now taking instead of going out smoking cigarettes on my break time, I would open up my Bible right out in the open 
and I would begin to read my Bible. Now, just to throw this in there, because I was doing that, there were some people that came to me on the job and wanted to start having Bible studies on their own with me because I was reading the Bible. They wanted to talk Bible. I began to share with them Acts 2.38, prayed them through the Holy Ghost on the job. So positive things are happening Absolutely. too. We're having revival. On, I'm praying people. I'm out in a woodshed in the back. I say woodshed. It's a workshed where we stored stuff. Two guys, me and a friend of mine that was going to church with me now that he got the Holy Ghost, we took these boys out to the workshed at break, prayed both of them guys through the Holy Ghost, came back to work, and went back to work like it was nothing. There's been people that had come to church with me, but there was this one guy on the job, and he would give me a hard time continually about that. And he was always criticizing me for reading my Bible, because no longer could they judge me for the bad things I'm doing now. They, they had nothing on me, so now they constantly just attacked and began to pick on me. Oh, you think you're better than us, this and that, that and this. Mm. And I was constantly being picked on, and he was bothering me to death and causing me to cry all the time and be upset. And God began to speak to me and told me that I needed to go to him and ask him to forgive me. Wow. And I didn't understand why at the time. But God was kind of using something to get his attention as well because he knew, and I didn't realize it, how close this man was watching me in my walk with God. He might have been watching me for the wrong reasons, hoping to see me stumble, hoping to see me mess up one day. But he was giving me such a hard time. He, hard time, he was keeping me up at night. I had given, I had, he had bought real estate in my brain mm. and he was living there rent free and I had allowed him to bother me. And so God said, go up to him and ask him to forgive you. And I had a battle with God. I really had a tug of war fight with the <laughs> Lord that day in a closet in a mobile home where I was working at. I got in the closet, dropped my tool gun, and just got frustrated. I said, God, do you not realize what this cat's doing to me, what this guy's doing to me, what he's bothering me, this is? Go ask him to forgive you. I'm thinking, did I do something wrong? God would not reveal to me what I did. So I finally just walked up to him one day while he was sitting there, and I said, man, I just wanted to come up to you and say, you know, I am sorry for anything that I could have possibly done to maybe bother you or cause you to maybe have this problem with me that you have. I'm sure I've done something. I'm just not aware. So whatever it is, I am absolutely sorry. His spirit completely broke. His countenance changed. He did not look the same. He didn't act the same. He grinned. He leaned over to me. He said, man... I don't have a problem with you. I just like getting you all stirred up and bothering you. It was just fun for me. And once I took that fun away by being a Christian, mm -hmm. by being a child of God and forgiving, that's, that's what we were preaching about last night, the whole power of unity. Sometimes we got to go to people and realize we need to be the first one to take the initiative to make things right, even if we did nothing wrong. Yeah, yeah. Start building that bridge. And then if, when you make it right, they'll help you finish building that bridge. Wow. You know, so. That's amazing. Yeah. So I, I'm going to kind of jump ahead in your story because I know, I know this part. I know that you became more and more involved and eventually you married the pastor's daughter. Hallelujah. Come on, somebody. You married your beautiful wife, yes. uh, Bishop Davis's daughter. And, um, and then you felt called to ministry. But which happened first? Did you feel called to ministry before you uh, fell in love? Or did you fall in love and then feel called to ministry? <laughs> well, well, once I realized my first love, I got that down back right. with the Lord. Hallelujah. No. I, uh, I began to feel a pull towards wanting to do more. Like I said, once God... Oh, and I, let me go ahead and back up about the cigarette smoking and going to the, the music director, which was my future wife's mother at the oh, time. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. So Sister Davis was up there doing music. Well, finally, after God delivered me, I didn't go announce to people I'm delivered from smoke and I'm no longer I didn't make any announcements but when I'd been delivered that I hadn't even went back and asked her 
if I could sing again. I just said, you know, I, I'm just going to enjoy this and worship God. She came up to me and said, would you like to sing in the chorale? And I just was like, God was working this out. So I began to sing in the chorale, and then all of us, we didn't have a praise and worship leader at the time. It was just we looked at the keyboardist, you know. Yeah. She gave the sign, bless her heart. She was doing amazing. That's how we all <laughs> used to do it, yeah. <laughs> and so she said, would you like to lead praise and worship? And I said, I have no idea how to do it, but I'm willing to try it. You know, somebody asks you to, to ride a horse, you say yes, can you get, and you learn how to ride it later on, you know. Well, Coley Reese does. Not <laughs> everyone Reese, does that, but Coley Reese does. <laughs> can you ride a horse? Absolutely. Then that yeah. weekend, I'm oh, learning yeah, how to ride a horse. I how to do that. No, but I've never done it, but I said, I'm willing to try it. So I began to lead worship. Well, at that time, I had not began to talk to the lovely, wonderful Anna, and, um, and so... I began to have an appetite toward wanting to work with young people. Her brother, Brother Trey Davis, was actually the youth pastor at the time. Okay, yeah. And, um, and so I went up to him and I said, can I help you out with the young people? I mean, just hang out with you guys on Friday night. What can I do? Is there anything I can help you with? Set up tables, you know, help food, whatever, snack, just whatever. And by the way, if anyone's listening <laughs> to this and you're wondering how to make your first start into ministry, that's oh, the yes. way to do it. Absolutely. The way to do it is not to go in and say, can I preach can I a conference? Preach? <laughs> you know, can I prophesy tonight? The way to do it is to say, can I help, you know, Absolutely. bring tables in? Can I, you know, can I, whatever. And it's good to also have that kind of desire to do that without being asked. Yeah, without ha someone having to beg if, you and twist your arm to do it. If you're at a youth event, young person, if you're hearing me right now, you're at a youth event, even if it's not your church and you're there, and you're seeing that there needs to be cleanup and tables put up and chairs put up, trust me, grab the chairs, grab the tables. Young man, if you want to impress that woman of God over there on the other side of the gym, grab you four chairs in each arm. And just heft them. And just, in just, Jesus' just name. in the name and of the Lord. And just pray out loud the whole time. <laughs> Flex and grunt while you're doing it. No. But when you volunteer your efforts to do that, you become a servant to the man of God. You become a servant. And I'll tell you something, guys that are listening to this and gals. If maybe you're thinking, you know, someday I feel called to preach, and but you know I don't know preachers and and all that kind of thing. If you demonstrate, whether it's at another person's church, your church, or a camp meeting, or you're out somewhere visiting another church with uh, at a conference or something, if you demonstrate that servant's heart, pastors are going to notice yes, that, they and they will remember that about you. Absolutely. And when and when the Lord starts. Uh, uh, lifting you up and and the word starts getting out that you you have a, a call to preach pastors will remember what will. you did in those so i'm just i promise you they notice so i can't tell you how many times that i have been somewhere where there was a youth event in mm -hmm. a gym or gymnasium or somewhere and when it was all over i was helping throw away the pizza boxes it wasn't my church it wasn't my youth group and my yeah. young people were following or it wasn't mine at the time i was just kind of helping out but the young people in the youth group that i went with were helping out they were folding up tables we were stacking chairs we were and the church just sat back and watched that and later on like you said when god begins to elevate you it's very important that it's god that begins to elevate a That's person right. to the ministry um, people will look back and see that there was a servant's heart in you and they you don't have to pursue a pulpit that's for right God to put you in one no the pulpit and will pursue the you pulpit will pursue you and i can't tell you how many times that i preached or i say i preached bless the heart of those who had to hear me but i ministered in some way <laughs> on the street corners yeah. i would go down in the city where i was in and i would go up to this place where i knew they were doing a soup kitchen to homeless people and i stood let me tell you this story it just god just reminded me 
I went and preached at this soup kitchen. It was some Catholic church, I believe. I'm not really sure. And I stood on there, and I began to preach Acts 2.38. I began to just declare it loud. I didn't have a crowd gathered around me. There was just a few that were sitting by listening. And I preached the whole message, began to talk people through how to be saved and how to do this. About 20 years later, I was preaching at a good friend of mine, Pastor Batten in Columbus, Georgia. Yeah. And I'm sitting there preaching. And when I got through preaching that service, a gentleman walked up to me at the end of that service. He said, you don't know who I am. This, this absolutely, I'm I get so emotional. I don't know what my deal is today. <laughs> I really we're getting old. We cry it's easy now. That's probably what it is. And so he walks up to me. He says, you don't remember me. And I know you don't remember me and know who I am. But 20 years ago, I was at a homeless shelter getting free food. And you were standing on the steps preaching Acts 2.38. Amazing. And this man was in a church now in Columbus, Georgia. Praise hearing, God. preaching, and now in church filled with the Holy Ghost. And I sat back, thrown back, thinking, how would I have ever known what was going to come out of that? But I didn't need a pulpit to minister. Minister doesn't mean to preach. The word minister means to meet a need. Yeah, yeah. Whatever it is, cleaning up, plunging a toilet, telling somebody about Jesus at the lunch table of your high school, having a Bible study in your living room. You are ministering. You don't have to have a three-point sermon. You ain't got to have a PowerPoint, believe it or not. Hallelujah. All we had was overhead projectors yeah. when I started preaching. So transparency. So I know you don't need PowerPoint. And you don't have to have a crowd. You don't have to no, have a church you building. Not. You don't have to no. have a pulpit. No. I think that's I think that's such an amazing story because I know that some of the preachers out there and pastors can identify with we have moments in ministry where we feel like you know are we making a difference that right. you know you, you know you could look back on times you've preached and and things you've poured yourself into and you you say lord did was I you know was I effective at all you know because right. we don't always see the fruit of our labor. You know, we like to think that we do. We wish that we would, but we're called to cast the seed. Yes. You know, to use another biblical metaphor. We're just, every time we preach, we're just throwing that seed on any ground we can get it on, you know? And we don't always know. That's right. And sometimes we feel like it's not ever. Absolutely. And then something like that will happen where it's like the Lord reminds you. Absolutely. You don't always know. Like, you've just been throwing that seed. You don't know where it grew. Brother Huntley preaches a very popular, amazing sermon, The Treasures in the Field. Yes. And he gave an illustration about the ground does not care about the hand that drops the seed. Mm. It does not care if it's the weathered hand of a, of a, of a seasoned farmer or whether it's the frail, pale hand of a young man that's never worked a day in his life. All the ground cares about is please just drop that seed. Mm, Yeah. It does not care. That's amazing. Absolutely. So you were called, you started to get used, you felt the call of God and started kind of preaching. And uh, then you married the pastor's daughter. And then you went into, eventually into youth ministry and you became the youth pastor. Absolutely. Uh, And... How many years were you a youth pastor? <laughs> Fifteen years. Fifteen years. You Gave were a me youth the term pastor. youth bishop from those who are youth bishop picking on me. So you almost so long. You almost <laughs> aged out. Almost aged. I know you were, and I I know from yeah. hundreds of sources that you know you were just a world class youth pastor. Mm-hmm. And so what I wanted to do quickly because you're not a youth pastor anymore. No. Um, 
I still thought love it, young people. I know you love, love young people. people. I know you have a heart for that. Yeah. Uh, take about two minutes and just for youth pastors listening, and I know from comments we have a lot of youth pastors that listen to this podcast. Give them just you know two or three things that you wish someone would have told you when you were Absolutely. a youth pastor. As a youth pastor to another young youth minister, whatever you, even if you haven't received a title yet and it's possibly offending you, don't worry about all that. Yeah. Focus on them young people. I don't care if it's four young people, 14 young people, 20 young people, it doesn't matter. The main thing you need to do is focus on that young person and pour into that young person every moment you possibly can. Don't waste your time thinking that you have to have the most amazing sermon laid out you have to have the craziest illustrations i used to have youth action with young people every friday we called it youth action on friday night because that was my way of keeping the young people involved in church on a friday night because mm. you know just keep them in the church atmosphere we do it every friday night but the last friday of the month to give them one night with their family whatever and i realized every friday night i was trying to do these crowd breakers i was trying to do icebreakers. i was trying to do games i'd have lights flashing i'd have fog machines bless our hearts we used to have those things <laughs> hallelujah thank god those are out those were your charismatic Oh, man, things. we didn't have LED lights. We just had to do floodlights. I mean, I was doing crazy stuff. And I remember I was burned out of ideas. And one night, I just threw some uh, Phase 10 cards on a table and some Uno cards on a table. I was done. I did not <laughs> want to play a game. I didn't want to come up with a crowd. I was, and I, them kids sat down and had the best time. And I just it. sat back and I began to think, you know what? That's all these young people really want is somebody to care for them and fellowship. Mm. I know it's cliche and we've heard it a million times, but I'm still going to throw it out there. Young people do not care how much you know until they know how much you care. It's true. And I've really found that out to be. First time I heard that, I was like, wow, it was several years back. I was like, oh, that's absolutely. But through the years, I realized that to be true because I have sat in church services or young or youth class rather preaching my guts out and watching that one young person on the back row with his head down, mm. not paying me attention, smirking with his friends, made me want to throw my Bible <laughs> back to the back view, right? And say, do you not know I'm talking about Jesus? My goodness. That happens in adult Sunday school, by the <laughs> yeah, way. I bet, I bet. <laughs> and so I, I go through it. I make it through the class and I'm like, oh, I just want to shake this kid's head. But, it, but when the class is over, he was the only one that came up to me and said, I appreciate everything you said tonight and began to tell me verbatim everything I spoke about. And I said, I have to be very careful yeah. not to judge these young people. They don't sit still and focus like we want them to because we're seasoned preachers. We know how to sit there and give them a mm-hmm when they're preaching an amen and a glory. You know, these young people, they, they're, they're dealing with a million things, pulling them in a hundred different directions. They might not look at you. Yeah. But they're hearing every word. Yeah. They're watching your lifestyle. They see more than you think. They care, about, they, they, they care more about your character and more of how much you love them than your pretty church service sermon mm -hmm. illustration, crazy crowd breaker. They like it. It gets the blood flowing. But when it comes all down to it, the main thing they're really concerned is, has he spoke to me today? Is he really praying for me? You know, call that young person that you know is battling with a breakup with their girlfriend or boyfriend just to say, man, I'm checking on you. See how you doing? I can't tell you how many times I just pulled up a chair beside somebody and said, how's everything going? And then they break down and start crying. Mm. And all I had to do was say, hey, I was just wanting to see how you're doing. 
and you opened that door and they saw that you cared. You wasn't just trying to work your way from youth pastor to to I don't know associate. Yeah, to you know pastor. that that's such an important yes. thing that you're hitting there. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't care what part of ministry you're in. If you're a, a youth pastor, uh, uh, and I've I've been I've been at all. I've been the church janitor. I've been everything. But, <laughs> yes. um, whatever ministry God's put you in. Now that doesn't mean you can't have a desire to be something Absolutely. further down the road, but refuse to look at the place God has put you in as a stepping stone. There you go. Because if you treat it like a stepping stone, you will not accomplish what God's called you to accomplish Absolutely. in that moment. And Absolutely. it can jeopardize what God wants to do through you and in you later on. Absolutely. If you view it that way. I want to ask you a question and you know, I was never a youth pastor bishop. I never reached bishop status. <laughs> I, I was my youth pastor. There's days, not a lot of glory in it, so you're no. Okay. <laughs> uh, it was it was kind of a short lived time as youth pastor, but I I, I did love my time as a youth yeah. pastor. Uh, and this has been many 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 moons ago. I wouldn't want you to mention names. I'm not going to mention names. But you mentioned you know that one kid back there that's head down and he comes back. Yeah. I have been struck. Here I am. Way over a decade since being a youth pastor. And I've watched with heartbreak as some of the young people that, that I uh, ministered with and to yeah. that I thought would absolutely serve God for the rest. I mean, if right. you would have told me then, I mean, I would have looked at that young person and thought they're going to be a preacher. They're going to be on. I mean, they are going to do great things. And, and some, not all, but some of them, I mean, it's blown my mind where, where they've gone. And then the opposite is true. There were young people that I, would have, I looked at, and just to be honest, I thought if they serve God, I mean, it's going to <laughs> be a miracle from heaven. You know, like I was trying to have faith, but it was hard, right. you know. And, uh, and now, I mean, some of those, those ones Absolutely. are absolutely killing it for God right now. Has has that been your experience? No names, of course. Of course. I recently had that happen. I went to preach someone north, south, east, and west of here, and I went to the church, and I walked in, and one of the young people that I would have never thought was going to do amazing things simply because young people are young people. You see them at camps. Mm-hmm. You see them, in, they're the ones causing the problem in the dorms. They're yeah. the ones that you know is probably going to set fire to something or something, you know, and never yeah. in the altars praying hardly, never do anything. Up there, leading service, assisting pastor, doing an amazing, absolute amazing job. Living for God, family, kids, doing great living for God. You know what that's taught me and that I, I don't think I fully learned the lesson, but I'm trying to learn it is that when you're ministering, whether it's as a youth pastor or an assistant pastor or a pastor, senior pastor, you know, you can't take anything for granted. Right. You can't look at someone's current state. Right. And you can, you can view that negatively or positively, just depending. You know, uh, sometimes it's discouraging because you look at someone you think oh they'll never fall away right. and and but then you have to remind yourself but you know what it's heartbreaking people do they do and, but then on the other hand sometimes you look at someone and you think oh my goodness i don't know and but then you have to remind yourself you know i god only knows the heart Absolutely. god is dealing with this Absolutely. and then that's when you realize that there's there's young people who walk with god and then there's and I say young people, let's just keep this back. And there's people who walk with God, 
And then there's people who walk with people who are walking with God. Ooh, say that again. There's people who actually walk with God. Yeah. And then there's people who walk with people who are walking oh, with God. If you remember yeah. King Saul, he went up to the prophet man of God and he said, walk with me. After God had already taken his spirit from him. Yeah. And he said, walk with me in the midst of the people. Because he couldn't get a word from God. He couldn't get direction. God had already began to focus on David. And Saul said, Samuel, I think it was Samuel, he said, walk with me in the midst of all of these people while we walk. Because he wanted the illusion yeah. that he was in the will of God. Mm -hmm. He no longer had a walk he with didn't God. Have Every it. time David came in the room, he wanted to kill him. He was chasing to kill David. He was disobeying. He was not honoring God. God took his spirit from him. But he said, I don't care about all that. Walk with me so that people think. It's a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. Yeah. And sometimes young people get so used to just being around spiritual people that they feel like they don't need to obtain a prayer life themselves. They're piggybacking off of mom and dad's prayers. They haven't got to the point of Cain and Abel to where it, the Bible says there is a, a process of time. I can't remember the actual chapter right now in Genesis when it begins to talk about Cain and Abel giving their sacrifice. The Bible says it was my first sermon, actually. I preached and preached, and God bless all those who had to hear that poor thing. That probably lasted... 15 pages of notes but anyway the bible says that cain and abel when the process of time had come cain and abel went to give sacrifice yeah i don't know that process of time i don't know how long it was but now no longer was adam and eve's sacrifices working for them too it was now their time mm. to give their own sacrifices mm. and we know the outcome of that cain didn't give the right sacrifice you know so there are moments to where there has to be an appetite of your own. And, and a lot of young people do battle with that because they have good churches, good youth pastors, good pastors, amazing Bible church services where the Bible's just preached so powerfully. Man of God is this. They just have a pumping church and they just sit back, blended into a large youth group, and they think, well, I can just ride on the coattail of this. Or even if they have great parents <clears throat> who have a great relationship right. with God. Right, absolutely. If, yeah. if they've not learned how to... Yeah, have that for themselves. Absolutely. And there again, there's nothing wrong with that. No, of it's course. It's amazing to have a church. Like yes. You want big youth groups. Yeah. You want big churches. You want a, both a mom and a dad living for God. Absolutely. But you have to get to the point to where you're not going to allow the obstacles and the things that you have to deal with cause you not to live for God yourself. Here's just one quick testimony of something. There was a tragedy years ago that happened in my life. Um, this, this was even before I had even began to start dating my wife. And it was some things that I was going through that was just, it, it, it was just ripping my world apart. I was crying myself all the way to church, 45 minute drive. Mm. I lived 45 minutes away and I would cry all the way to church. I'd cry all the way home. I cried all the way. I was crying to bed at night. I was going, to, it was just something that was shaking my world. And I remember going to my pastor one night and he was happened to be standing at the door of the church. And I was going to reveal to him what was going on for the first time. And I walked up to him at the entrance of the door. It was on a Wednesday night, actually. And I walked up to Brother Davis, and I said, I need to talk to you. And, and I, I, let me throw this out there. I recommend don't go to your pastor before church and throw that on him. I just want to put out that disclaimer. God bless him. He did a great job ministering me. But don't do that to your man of God. Wait till after service or a time, you know. But I didn't. I was in tears. My face, eyes were swollen, and I didn't know what to do. I was at my breaking point. And so I pulled pastor outside the door, and I began to tell him what was going on. And if you just know my father-in-law, <laughs> Bill Davis, Brother Davis, he, uh, he, he said, Coley, I can help you with this. 
but I need to ask you one question. I said, what is that? He said, are you willing to allow this to take you to hell? Mm. And I remember at that moment, I, it was almost a, 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 a reflex. I said, no, there was no question in my mind that I would ever wanted to go to hell. I just came out of hell. Yeah. You know, I'm not going back to that. And I said, absolutely not. He said, well, then I can help you. If you can make up in your mind first that hell is not worth going to, no matter what I tell you, it will help you and you'll do it. Now, wipe your eyes and go leave worship. <laughs> so I, I went into the church and I just led worship six months. Nobody knew a thing going on in my life. I'd cry to church, but I'd walk in, wipe my eyes and worship God like nobody's business. I'd go home. I'd cry a little bit. Then God woke me up in one time, a whole other story. I won't, but I realized right then I'm going to get off the floor and stop crying myself through this and worship my way through it. Yeah. And God began to change that whole circumstance and deliver me completely out of that situation. But just the fact that when you make up in your mind that heaven is worth going to and hell is not even worth it being an option there's too many people that see that as an option. Yeah. Churches should never be an option. It's a lifestyle. Yeah. It should never. In my home, it's never an option. Hey, guys, we're going to go to church today. Are we going to go live for God? Are we going to pray? Are we? No. Yeah. We're not going to talk about it. it it's just a given. It. It's a given. Mm -hmm. It's a lifestyle. Yeah. You get to an apostolic church and you mess up and show up for the first time and you get to an altar and raise your hands, it is like ants on a sugar cube. Every person in the church is like, Pew! they on you, they, they shaking your calisthenics, rubbing shoulders, they done knocked you through. I said, I remember one time we were praying, I was at some, I don't know where I was, and uh, they were praying for this poor guy and they shook him to death, buddy. They done swayed him back and forth. He was like a flagpole during a hurricane. But it was, and he done fell to the ground. They said, uh-uh, picked him back up. I fell to the ground. Uh-uh, get back up. Come on, hold on, let go, hold on, let go. And I sat there and I said, my God, he's got to be tired. I'm tired. I'm not even over there. Finally, they gave up and kind of walked off to the side. I leaned over there to him right quick. And he's sitting there sweating, obviously. Goodness. He's broken. He's sitting there. And I know he's done got frustrated wondering, how come I didn't get the Holy Ghost? And I leaned over. I said, brother, can we repent together? He said, yes. I said, let's repent. Let's repent of some things. Let's dump some stuff out. I think that might be what the issue is you're having this morning. I said, God wants to fill you, but you haven't taken time to do this yet. He began to weep and began to say, God, forgive me. I'm so sorry. Lord, I'm a sinner, whatever his prayer was. He began to pray and I laid hands on him and I told him just like somebody told me, well, then you ain't got nothing else to feel sorry about. You ain't got nothing. You believe God healed, uh, God forgave you? He said, yes. I said, lift your hands and let God fill this empty vessel. His hands went up because now he got a clean conscience and now he doesn't feel ashamed. Sometimes one, nobody don't want to lift their hands because they still feel shame in their spirit. They still feel fear. But once that sin's gone, yeah, I want it. And God filled him with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. If you come down here this morning and you need the Holy Ghost, you better make sure you repent first. <laughs> Book of Acts. Men and brother, what must we do? Peter steps out on the balcony and says, run the eyes. Jump the pews. Slobber on four people and kick somebody. You shall receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Teach your children, your children shouldn't off. Now he said, repent. Repent. You're a tremendous altar worker. It's one of the things I love about 
your ministry and for all the pastors out there you need to have coley reese come preach for you he's just not only is he a great preacher he is a tremendous altar worker and and he will he will minister even when he's not preaching in your church i've seen you pray people through to the holy ghost i've seen you work the altars can you give some altar working advice to people because apostolic voice gets a lot of questions one of our top questions is you know how how can we help people when we're praying you know whether it's super spiritual or if it's just as down to earth as you know brush your teeth right it is very down to earth and now i want to go ahead and give this disclaimer i do not have it all figured out i don't care how long you do this people are different Right. Not everybody is the same. I wish I could say, do this right here, and every person you lay hands on will get the Holy Ghost. Because it's a two-way situation. Yeah. I can bring you to the door, but I can't make you walk through it. Yeah. But I, I remember one time my father-in-law gave another story. He said he went to a conference, and he began to talk and raise his hand and tell everybody, if you want to receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost, this is what you do. He said a man stood up from the front pew walked to the front of the church, lifted his hands, started talking in tongues, worshiped God, put his hands down, and went back and sat on the front pew. And somebody went to him and said, how did you get the Holy Ghost so quick? He said, I just did what he told me to do. Amazing. When I'm, I, I don't have it all figured out, but I can tell you right now, we complicate praying somebody through the Holy Ghost right. like you would not believe. Right. We think they need the back massage. We think the calisthenics works. We want to snap their neck. We are the best chiropractors in the world. <laughs> and, and, and we get down there and we see somebody hungered for God. And if we see tears on them, it's like gnats on just a piece of picnic hot dog on the ground. You know, we're just flocking to it, you know. And so we get all over them and we shake them to death and we ga yeah 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 And we're going at it and, and we, we get too emotional and energetic about it and we don't even have a clue if they've repented yeah yeah the only reason anybody ever got the holy ghost on the day of pentecost is because there was a repentance they had to go through that's right you just said you got to repent be baptized be filled with the holy ghost now baptism and being filled with the holy ghost those can happen any change but you're not going to get to any of the others unless you go through repentance yeah and sometimes we go down and we say come on let it go worship worship we have not even asked them to repent Mm. I saw some people one time, and I don't mean to sound so critical. I, I, I really try not to ever feel that way, but I'm just giving my experience. I saw some people battling with someone in an altar one time, and they were praying heaven down on this poor soul. <laughs> this poor guy had been praying for I don't know how long. He was sweating. They were sweating. Honey buns were flying. There was hairpins hitting the wall. This poor guy was getting shook to the. He done fail. They done picked him up. He done fail. They picked him up. They were this. I wanted to give the guy some water. Yeah, so he hold on. Survive. Let Hold on, let go. Hold on, let go. I mean, my goodness. And so they finally began to back up a little bit because I think they got tired. Oh, I bet. And so I leaned over to him and I asked him, have you even repented? And he shook his head, no. Mm. Like he was confused about it. And I began to talk to him. I said, repentance is, and I won't go through all that. We already know what repentance is. Repentance is turning away from that lifestyle of sin that you're living in. Are you sorry for living a certain life? And tears began to flow. Mm. Ask God to forgive you. Do you believe God can forgive you? Yes, I believe God can. Then let's do that right now first. Because God can't fill a glass that's full of stuff. Right. The devil leaves for a season and comes back. And when he finds the house is swept... He moves back in thinking he can take ownership of it because the glass was empty. Yeah. He got emptied out. So at some point for the devil to leave, you got to empty him out. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. And sometimes we go down trying to pour Coke in water, wondering how come it's watered down? <laughs> Why don't this person get what God wants for them? Do they not love God? They do. But a sinner's not going to repent until they realize they're a sinner. Yeah. Not everybody knows. It's hard to find a good sinner. Everybody's saved now. That's right. So you have to reveal, reveal to them how much they actually need God. And like I said, it's not a... And they have to accept it, too. They have to understand that. Which you just jumped on it, but that's Absolutely. one of the, the great difficulties of our era. Absolutely. Is that people don't view themselves as lost. No, they don't. So-and-so is worse than I am. You need to go talk to him. Mm-hmm. He, I don't do what he does. I'm a good person. It's the two men in the altar. One person looks in there in prayer and says... Um, I'm thank God I'm not like him. Mm-hmm. And the other one says, God forgive me for I'm a sinner. And he beats his chest. Which one did God hear the prayer of? Mm-hmm. And sometimes we go to the altar and we're saying, God, I'm so sorry, but I hate I did what I did. But well, thank God I'm not like Bob over there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And God goes, Oh, hold on. I'm dealing with Bob too. But yeah, we got to get this Bob, back. Bob's got his we own problem. We got to deal with this spec. Mm-hmm. You know, before you worry about that telephone pole you know sorry to all the bobs out there (laughs) yeah and so and so we do that we complicate it we want them to get the holy ghost so we can put down that number in our in our ministerial book Mm -hmm. hey two people got holy ghost hey 10 people got holy ghost hey it ain't about that we're just trying to get to heaven as a team this is a unity effort as we preached last night and this is when you get down there to work with somebody in the altar way before you begin to start take a moment and talk to them for a second lean into their ear begin to encourage them what they're doing you're doing a great job this is awesome worship god that's it surrender to him repent if there's anything you need to repent about let's go ahead and do that right now begin to talk with them because a person who is emptied out to god receives the holy ghost so much quicker and when I began to talk to that person and tears began to flow, all I did was say, all right, now that you've repented, do you believe God? Because I think back of how I got the Holy Ghost. Mm-hmm. Now that I've repented, what are you crying for? Mm-hmm. If you think God forgave you, why are you sitting here still crying? Yeah. There's nothing to cry about. Worship him now. Mm-hmm. Because the Holy Ghost didn't fall on anybody until they began to worship and the Holy Ghost began to move in there. They were worship. It was while they were worshiping in the New Testament, the Holy Ghost failed. When you're in an altar situation... <clears throat> How much time do you usually spend explaining to someone how to repent? Not long at all. You keep it short? Do it pretty short and sweet. Pretty short and sweet. Because you can overthink it, and before you know it, you're trying to give them three, four, five steps, and now they're trying to remember everything you said. Keep it basic. So I wanted just to be clear for people who might be listening. Absolutely. Not, don't, don't get in. This isn't no, a three-point no. Bible study. I didn't have a Bible study before I came to God. Somebody just worked with me in the altar and said, repent, ask God to forgive you. And because I knew I was a sinner and I knew I'd been doing wrong, well, I didn't know I was a sinner, per se. I didn't know the terminology but i knew i was doing wrong right you didn't know the theology no but i didn't you, yeah and so i began to cry repentance you can you can tell when somebody has a repentive spirit because it just begins to show on them they just yeah. they're crying they're mourning in the that's where God. discernment steps Ex- in absolutely you need to have some discernment as a minister one of the greatest evangelists out there in my opinion brother client said this one time he said the best way to be sensitive to the Holy Ghost. You don't have to be spooky about it. You ain't got to get into all of these. Uh, we, we like to flow in the gifts of the Spirit, but we think it's very spooky and very just weird and we have to get into mystical. He said the greatest way to flow in the Spirit is just keep your eyes open and be observant. Mm, yeah. Just watch a person. Observe. You ain't got to sit there and read somebody's mail and tell them what they ate for breakfast that morning for them to understand they need God. Yeah, that's right. That's just right. go to them and just tell them, hey, we're all sinners. We're born into this sinners. Why don't we repent together? Let's repent together. Repent with them. We all need to repent. Yeah. So, I mean. I agree with that. I, I find myself encouraging. And I think that you can tell 
the spiritual condition of a church. This is just a little side note here, but if you if you say something along the lines like "Let's all repent together," right. I'll sometimes be in environments where I'll, I'll see a resistance from right, the right, the right. good saints of God, you yeah. know, because it's like oh, me repent, you know. Well, yeah, oh my goodness, repent. I yeah. you know. Well, I mean, I don't know about everybody else, but I have to repent, you know, pretty much every day, and uh, I said I die daily, a daily, you know, and so. If you're in a, <laughs> as an evangelist, you know this, yes. but when you're in an environment and you say something like that and you see or sense resistance from the saints, right? well, now you know you're in an environment where you've got to start dealing with yes, you do. Pride. pride in particular. <laughs> exactly. Um, and, and so now you're in an environment where you're going to have to break some things spiritually, yes. and that's a whole conversation. Then for, you begin to discern the atmosphere of why that person there won't repent properly. Oh, my goodness. Because if nobody else is repenting, then why should I? There's no atmosphere. We've if not created an so atmosphere. so I've never seen them in an altar. Mm-hmm. I mentioned that a little bit last night when I got the Holy Ghost. The reason I was so drawn to the altar is because the church was already full of people that were moving closer to God, getting down in an altar, worshiping God. So I felt, hey, I must go with the flow here. Mm -hmm. But when you're in an atmosphere of people that are so, you know, (laughs) you got to be careful that lifted up and, hey, I've been in this longer than you've been born. I have no reason to have to. Every time I'm in prayer, I go ahead and say, God, I want to repent about things in case I forgot something I did. Oh, yeah. Because I'm not perfect. No man is perfect. The mm-hmm. Bible tells us that. So since I know no man's perfect, that I'm not going to assume that I've made the right decisions 24 hours a day, seven days a week. There might have been something I did and said, and just, just I've been so busy, I forgot I did it. And as I'm in prayer saying, God, in case I've done something wrong, God, forgive me. And I'd be halfway through my prayer, and God reminds me, you need to deal with this. This is going to be, <laughs> this, this is going to sound like I'm trying to be funny, but my wife and I do this, this deal every day. Um, it's called Thanos. So, um, and and I'm going to probably get it wrong here, but it, it, you can do it in like five or ten minutes, and you take turns. F is for feelings. You share your feelings. A is for acknowledging. So, like I acknowledge and and things that my wife did throughout the day. And N is for uh, needs. Talk about needs. And then O is for ownership. All right. And then S is for struggle. So ownership is where. You, you, you're supposed to, in that moment, and it's always the worst moment of Thanos, okay? Because it's the moment where you're supposed to say, I take ownership for, you know, whatever I did, you know, if I did anything. And, and uh, you take turns doing that. So it's a two-way street. And, and what, I have, <laughs> what I have found, and I, I think about this with God, is that, and, and it's true for my wife and myself, but me more than her, that there'll be times where I struggle to come up with something to take ownership for. (laughs) (laughs) The theology of every man on this You know, like I'm struggling. And so, and then what I will say is, you know, is there, honey, is there anything that maybe I should be taking ownership? And, and not always, but there are, there are times where I realize quickly that there was something that I should have taken ownership for. And, and she's precious about it. It's not like an ugly moment. What that, (laughs) And there have been moments where I was stunned because I really had forgotten that I had done that or, or I didn't Absolutely. even realize Absolutely. that, you know, and you know that as a man that you, we're, we're, it's just, you know, it's part of uh, the fall, I think. But <laughs> if, if that's happening in my earthly 
oh, relationships. Absolutely. And I pour everything I, I have into my marriage, loving my wife. Absolutely. I know you do the same. My family. I believe in family. Yes. And so I work very hard at it. I'm not, I'm not like a disengaged husband. Absolutely. I'm a very... And if I'm trying that hard and I still have these blind spots right. in this earthly marriage, yeah. then what is happening in my relationship with God? Absolutely. I know I have blind spots. Yeah. I know there are times when I go to the Lord that I need to be taking ownership for something. Absolutely. I need to be repenting. And I don't even always know what it is, you know. I'm gonna, I know I've shared this in church, speaking speaking at your church, and I, I want to share this for those who are listening. It's a, it's a story that I tell quite often, and it really happened to me. I was in prayer one day, and this was God giving me a, a lesson on humility. Mm. It was giving me just a lesson on pride. And and so I, I felt the devil was giving me a real hard time that day. We uh, little disclaimer, it ain't always the devil. Hallelujah. We blame the devil for everything. Hallelujah. But I, the devil was giving me so many issues and problems, and I was so frustrated that night I couldn't even go to sleep. I told my wife, just go on to bed. I told my kids, y'all just go on to bed. I was in the living room, and I was having a Holy Ghost prayer meeting. I was stomping around. I was swinging at the air like I was fighting the devil. I was having a battle with the devil. At least that's what I thought. And so I'm sitting there in prayer and um, I'm, I'm sitting there wondering how can I handle this situation with the devil just causing this torment in my mind and my spirit. And I got bold, Brother Ryan, I got bold and I said, God, show me the face of my enemy. Mm. I just got arrogant and bold. I want to see his face right now. You got to be careful when you pray prayers like that because God will answer your prayers. Yeah, he sure will. And so I'm sitting there in the living room and it's dark. The lights are out and I'm sitting there in this bold moment of prayer. And I said, God, show me the face of my enemy right now. And God spoke to me in my spirit and said, turn around. He's standing right behind you. I, it was dark and I got so nervous. I turned around real slow. And when I turned around, there I stood face to face with my enemy. And I was looking him in the eyes, blue eyes. He had blue eyes, handsome, very handsome. At least that's what I thought. Stood about six foot tall, and I and I threw back and I began to fall to my fall to the ground and began to weep and cry, because what had happened is I had forgotten that moment of prayer where I was standing at in my living room. Behind me was a wall that me and my wife had received as a gift uh, from someone after we got married was a wall mirror somebody had given me. Wow. And had and we mounted it on that wall. When I turned around and said, God, show me the face of my worst enemy. I want to see him. When I turned around, I stared myself in the mirror. Looking right at yourself. Scared me to death. And right when I looked at myself, God spoke again and said, there's your worst enemy. Wow. That's the one you're going to have your biggest battles with. Yeah. That's the one you're going to have to get them to subjection. That's the one you're going to have to control and you're going to have to call. Brother Tinney made this statement, and I hope that I quote this properly. He said, it's our job to humble ourselves. It's God's job to elevate. Mm. If you insist on doing God's job, he will insist on doing yours. He'll do your job. And so we have to make sure that we have to do that in our marriage on earth. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Even when we know we can't remember if we did wrong, if did and that. We, it's best you get down and have a little talk with, it might not be Jesus, it might be the wife, but That's you better right. have a little talk and try to get it figured out. Because more than likely, men, listen very carefully, you probably did do something. You've just been so busy <laughs> to realize it. But if you speak to your wife, she will tell you what you did, let me tell you. And make it right. Do it quick. Oh. The sunset. No. <laughs> 
Well, Brother Coley, I love you, man. Wow. Thank you so much for being on Apostolic Voice. Man, I hope people listen to some of these uh, these testimonies you've shared because it's going to be life-changing. All right, stick around for Gross Good Great, everybody. Here we go. Here we go. All right, we have a special Reese family edition of Gross Good Great. And Parker is here as well. And, uh, and of course, the French family, Talmadge, Julia, and the lovely Taylor. And we are trying Takis Fuego Hot Chili Pepper and Lime Flavored Meat Sticks. Oh, boy. Yeah, it's meat. I I think this is kind of like a Slim Jim with the... Yeah. And steroids. steroids. Yeah. Yeah, basically 100 Slim Jim. And and maybe. We have no idea. It says meat sticks, so that could be any kind of meat. We have no idea. This is Yeti meat. But, um, you know, you said yesterday that that you guys have never tried Takis, the chips. I have not. But do you see them in the store, right? I have them in, I you know, like try they them. look just like it's like the purple takis. They're, They're disgusting. Uh, They're delicious. Uh, we do like the takis. At least I do. And Taylor, Julia, do you like I the takis? I dislike takis. So yeah, much. Julia. They're likes so gross. Well, I tend to shun anything. You don't like spicy, spicy, so this is the perfect episode like for spicy. you. <laughs> 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 they are spicy. I love the chips, and so when I, well, when we saw at Academy Sports. Uh-huh. Uh, that you could get these in like a Slim Jim type deal. We thought, well, that would be, and it's Cattleman's Cut, which is a brand that you can get a lot of places. So. I'm feeling better that it's Cattleman's Cut. Yeah. I yeah. feel better if it comes out yeah. of the grocery store versus Academy Sports. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, you know. Right. You know, we don't we don't have the budget to pay like right. searchers. So you know, we do this we do this on our own when we're right. out and about. But um, so I'm excited about it. So let me give you all the rules of of gross good great. So first first of all, you have to be honest. You have to be honest about your opinion. Something we've never tried. I think we're all in agreement. We've never tried this. Absolutely. And the way you rate it is one, two, and three is gross, simple. Four, five, six, and seven is good. So there's four chances for good. That's the easiest category. And then for it to be great, it's got to be eight, nine, or ten. That's the great category. It's kind of rare for things to go there. But last week we did have some, uh, oh, oh, the Oreos with Bishop Craft. Oh, wow. Okay. They were so good. The 110th yeah. birthday edition Oreo with fudge. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, oh, great. hallelujah. Woo, so glory. Good. Hallelujah. Wow. They were really good. So, um, so we try it. The other rule is that you have to chew loudly into the microphone because this is not a video. So people have to know that you're doing this for real. Um, you don't have to eat the whole thing, but you do have to try a bite. If you spit it out, we know your rating, okay? <laughs> All right, so since you're our guest, we're going to let you take the first bite, and we're going to observe oh, you. All right. While you're eating it. What you're watching. It's <laughs> special here. All right, here we go. All right. <laughs> Woo, hallelujah. Just lean right into the mic and smack Yep, just yeah. chew right into the microphone. 
Get an anise face. All right. I feel like. Yeah, don't get. <laughs> don't spit it I out. I feel like a puppy that's like hearing a weird noise. He tilts his head a little bit. That's hilarious. Okay. All right. Go. Okay, Yo, everyone not, go ahead. We're all going to go down. It's now. not hot right off. It's not hot? Not right off. Mm-mm. No, I okay. Okay, I it's starting to get hot. I do like the texture. The taste is a. <clears throat> it's thicker than a usual Slim Jim. Mmm, Parker likes it. I might need another bite. Oh, mm. I'll make ten for grape. I think Parker's going to realize it's going to get hot in just a moment. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's already it sets hot. in after a second. Yeah, you have to let it set in. I'm not picking up on the lime mm. as much. Wait a minute. Yeah, I am. Yeah, I, I, I taste the lime now. Yep. I do go. taste the lime. Anybody don't want theirs? What do you think? Babe? I taste blood. Ooh. <laughs> Uh, you know, like you, when you get a rare steak and you cut into it and eat your first <laughs> bite, to get the back of my or like in the middle of it. <laughs> I, I will say that the the, That's the what I taste. meat stick itself is kind of reddish, which is a it, little. Yeah. Yeah, to me, it's um, not appealing. I hope I don't get mad cow eating this. It doesn't have a bad aftertaste. No, <laughs> it is starting to get. get yeah. Of course, I can't handle a lot of spice. It's not as strong as I thought it would be. To be honest, it's not. It's not overwhelming. No. All right. Well, I'll tell you what. Parker's already given it a 10. You like it, Parker? All it, right. It's a 10? All right. All right. Sister Reese, what do you think? Uh, I would probably give it an 8. Really? I like spice. Eight? Yeah, I like the spice. Um, but I don't like the outside layer. It's like it's kind of a yeah, plastic. The outside layer is a little unpleasant, yeah, isn't it? It's good. Outside. Similar to a Slim Jim, actually. I'm that very way about similar. Slim Jims. It's like, very similar. I, don't, I like the inside, but I don't love the... Yeah, plasticky outside. Yeah. Slim Jim, you snap into one. This mm-hmm. doesn't have to snap into mm-hmm. something. It's more like a slowly ease into it. It's kind of a soft. I'll give you another one. What do you think, brother? I would give it. Okay, I'm, I'm rating it from two different angles. This is important because listeners are holding their breath right now. <laughs> but this is based on someone that can't handle a lot of spice. Mm-hmm. So on the spice level, I would have to say it's not that bad, but. I wouldn't continue to get it because I don't like spicy stuff. So I would have to say on the spice level, probably about five. Same, yeah. Five on the spice. Mm-hmm. Uh, the texture and how it tastes and just eating, enjoying it as a beef jerky or whatever you would want it to be or cattleman's cut or whatever, <laughs> I would say it's probably about an eight. Oh, wow. I would. Yeah. Not, I not would bad. Say an eight. But the spice level is just, I wouldn't. Like right now, it's still burning the back of my throat. Yeah, there's a little, there's a little burn to it. But yeah, so it's not horrible. But we're going to wash it down with, uh, with some crab meat later. So. <laughs> That's right. Hallelujah. Right. I thought you going to say Tabasco sauce. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. All right, Julia, you got to shout because you're far from the microphone. Seven. 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 All right. Oh, okay. What do you got, babe? I'm a five. Really? How come? Um, because it's not that good. <laughs> what did you not like about it? And just, it tasted like plastic. Right? Mm, I hear that. Okay, bub, what do you think? Okay, I don't want to be negative Nancy in here, but that was a two. That is horrific. Really? So you really didn't like it. <laughs> now, this is a reverse because usually Talmadge rates things really high, right. and we rate it really low. So yeah, you, you I just don't like spicy things, and that <clears throat> did not taste like me. That tasted like chemicalized plastic. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. So I, I actually liked the yeah. flavor of it. I, I really did, and I liked the inside, but the outside... It kind of ruined it for yeah. me, so that put it down to like a six for me, where it's like, you know, I would eat it if someone gave it to me, exactly. but I probably wouldn't 
go into a store and buy it. Yeah. You know? I wouldn't either. All right. Well, we love you guys. Absolutely. Thanks for joining. All right. Raider Podcast, five stars. And five stars. Amazing reviews. We need reviews. Leave a well, review. Yeah. A good awesome. one. You know, and if you leave a negative review, you're a pagan, so. That's right. It has to be an article long. That's right. Entire article. No heathen, no heathen reviews, just good apostolic reviews. And uh, hey, thanks for being adventurous with us here. This was, a little, this was kind of a weird one. We'll have you back sometime when we're having like, you know, chocolate cake or something. Parker loves it. All right. God bless. Oh, hey, and jump on the messenger and uh, and tell us what your rating was. We love to hear it when you when you reach out. See you later.